Welcome to our second season of Shooting the Breeze. This time, we're casting our net wider. We're going to be talking to inspiring athletes, amazing coaches, and behind-the-scenes trailblazers from across the women's basketball landscape. As we start the run-up to the Olympics, another WNBL season, and the FIBA Women's World Cup being held right here in Sydney, as well as the Opals being ranked number two in the world, this is a great time to be a fan of Australian women's basketball. Don't forget to subscribe and be the first to know when we have more Hoops goodness headed your way. I was last year, I was in Domagee and Mornington Island. So I went up with AIB during NAIDOC week. Yeah. And it was so fantastic. Like I've never been in that part of the, the country before. So it was an eye opener for me and it was so humbling. Uh, it was empowering. Um, met some amazing people on that journey and so many amazing athletes that you just don't know about yet and we're hoping to find them. It's always great to talk to one of our iconic Aussie women's basketball players, Olympian and New South Wales Hall of Famer, Annie Lafleur. As part of the Indigenous Basketball Australia and Basketball New South Wales partnership, she's doing great work in regional and remote communities down under, as well as ongoing basketball programs with social impact in Oceania and Southeast Asia. As FIBA Oceania Development Manager, Annie has an amazing knowledge of the FIBA landscape, both locally and abroad, and gives us an insight into the 3x3 game and how it's helping to engage more players, as well as groundbreaking programs such as Her World, Her Rules. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. This week, we've got returning to join us, Annie Lafleur. Annie, how are you? I'm great, Paul. Thank you for having me on again. It's our pleasure, Annie. There's obviously been a lot going on. Uh, it's been a weird 12 months. Mm. So what's been happening for you since we last spoke, you know, not only for you personally, but across in FIBA world? Yeah, look, you know, COVID's not going anywhere. So um, one thing I think that's really helped us, I guess, is doing online, you know, workshops and things like that. So as far as the FIBA perspective, uh, I'm still working for FIBA. <laughs> Uh, still in the Gold Coast, beautiful part of the world. So, yeah, no, it's exciting to be up here and uh, just enjoying uh, the freedom again, you know, after being in, uh, well, our state being in lockdown for three days. Uh, so, yeah, no, it, it's good to be here uh, for FIBA. Uh, we're doing a lot of online workshops at the moment. We've had um, educator workshops. So we've we've noticed that for us to really try and get the message out into the communities in our federations, it's to work with educators, so running them through workshops, so referees uh, and coaches, uh, and then them running workshops themselves in the country. So, yeah, there's a lot happening, I guess, in that space. So how are you finding that the educators and also FIBA's engagement um, mm-hmm. is going on across the region? Yeah, look, I think that working with the federations to identify people to then be educators, I think has been a big push for us. Uh, The fly in, fly out, you know, we've done that a few times and now we can't do it. Uh, So, you know, working with these educators to then be able to deliver uh, the information has been, I think, has been successful um, and they're able to reach more people. We do need to do the practical part. You know, now we're just working on the theory part. So at some point, uh, you know, once when we are able to travel, uh, we can go in and, and run those in person. And have you noticed that across the across the region, the reactions from people to being doing things remotely has been positive, or is it? Are you finding that it's been a little bit of an inhibitor to making the progress that you'd like to make? 
I, I think it shows that we can actually still work uh, in that space. We do have some challenges with some of our federations with, you know, being able to get online. Um, so, you know, like with PNG, you know, their internet goes in and out all the time. So it's just trying to find solutions um, in that space. But definitely it has been, we believe, um, successful. Uh, but it's just finding finding ways to help the ones that actually can't get online getting them into an area or going into an office um, and, and we may have to provide some funding to pay for data. Uh, so, yeah, just working with the federations to find opportunities for them to also get people together and then we can run these workshops online. Okay. I'm also curious, given that the, the region is so huge, mm. are you finding that trying to be able to like you were saying, that the data and being able just to do that sort of connectivity is challenging, for, not so much for us here, but for some of those countries that probably don't have the infrastructure that they could have. Yes, I mean, it's always a challenge. And, and that's, I mean, look, even in Australia, when you ask them, you know, what are our, what are your challenges? It's facilities, it's resources. It's, so when you go out to the islands, it's just at a bigger scale. What we've done is we've broken it up into three, I don't like to say zones, but We've got the northern part of the Pacific, which is the Micronesia area. Um, then you've got Melanesia, which is the middle, and then you've got Polynesia underneath. So we try and group them together and work with the regions, I guess, you know, prioritise uh, with what's actually coming up in those regions. So at the moment we're working with coaches in Micronesia and referees because they've got the Micronesia Games next year. Um, and then Melanesia, you know, we're working with them, preparing them for the Melanesia Games next year, and then Polynesia. So, so yeah, we, we've kind of put them into the, the regional areas and the zones and trying to work on them in that sense. But most definitely it's working with the NOCs, it's working with the federations to bring those educators together, to put them in an environment where they will learn to grow and then they can then share that information with their volunteers, their colleagues in the country. You know, obviously the, the big one of the big challenges for them would be, you know, the COVID situation. What sort of challenges are you aware of that they've had to face uh, in just trying to get the game out to people in those yeah. regions? You know, it's been interesting watching. So I'll just use Fiji as an example. So they were in lockdown for a while, came out of lockdown, now are back in lockdown. They've been able to deliver um, their Bulla Hoops program online. So Bulla Hoops is a program, uh, a grassroots program for kids in schools, teaching them the basic fundamentals. Um, so they've been able to go online and video some of the skills to then share with their kids online. So I think COVID's actually showed ways of doing other things you know we all tend to just want to go out and do activities you know in the playground and the in the schools which is great but when you can't do it what else can we do we can still keep our basketball community engaged and we've got them online you know they're doing activities online and it's been great to see Fiji actually be proactive and think outside the box and deliver a program uh, for their basketball community Given that, is it possible that discovering all this technology actually gives the various groups across the region the opportunity to get the game out to people who ordinarily may not have gotten to participate? Yeah, most definitely. And, and I think also, um, you know, using their 
Facebook and, and everyone's got Facebook in the islands, you know. So they've been able to use Facebook to get those videos out um, to their community and, and it's a bigger reach. Instead of just having this group at the school, you know, now you've got their whole basketball community who can actually see those videos online and do them in their houses. That's great. That's, mm. that's really fantastic. So yeah. there are opportunities coming out of all these challenges. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, for our office, is seeing that we can actually deliver programs. And, and there are a couple other programs I can talk to you about, you know, online where we've got a bigger reach of people um, who can then deliver these programs um, in the country. So mini basketball, we've got a mini basketball forum at the moment for 20 federations, eight Southeast Asian countries and 12 Oceania countries. So Darren Anderson is a contractor and he's, he's contracted to run and deliver this program for us. We've got 45 participants from around South Oceania come in for a one and a half hour forum about engagement. It's about getting conversations between the, the participants, teaching them about mini basketball from start to finish. The idea of mini basketball, what does it include? The partnerships, so the schools, um, who can deliver it, where you can deliver it, finding, you know, funders to help for the cost of the programs and then creating a program for their environment. It's been such a great program and we're hoping from this that we'll get grassroots uh, programs in each of these countries. You touched on a couple of things that, that really sort of made a key point for me. One is... There's a focus on commercial engagement, mm. which is really interesting to hear. How's that happening, particularly in countries where, you know, basketball may not necessarily be the primary sport played? How are you finding that commercial enterprises are willing to listen? Yep. So mini basketball is about, it's not just about basketball, the game. It's about yep. developing better humans. So... Uh, Fiji, we have non-communicable diseases is an epidemic. It's actually an epidemic throughout the whole of the Pacific. Uh, in Papua New Guinea, it's um, domestic violence. It's violence against women. It's inclusion. Uh, in Timor, it's malnutrition. So mini basketball actually incorporates that basketball for good component in it. And what we find is that, you know, getting um, organisations, we're delivering the basketball message um, and then the partners we have are the, the ones delivering the expert message. And you'll find that when you're working together, you're collaborating in these types of environments, you find that we're able to bring in partners um, to help deliver the message. So, you know, Fiji, Mum's a Hero was a program. Um, it was the pilot program in 2014. And, you know, what we're trying to do is also with these programs, yeah, we're teaching basketball fundamentals. We're getting kids active. But we're also teaching them like life lessons. We're teaching them about how to be a good person, how to be respectful. It adds value to the program. It's not just about trying to make great basketball players. You know, we're trying yeah. to make better humans. Uh, the other thing that I found really interesting is that you, you're not just covering Oceania, you're also covering extending out into Southeast Asia Southeast as well. Southeast Asia, yeah. How are you finding that expansion? Because obviously it's really making the area that you're covering that much larger. Yeah, um, so the, we FIBA has an office in Singapore um, who looks after the development of Southeast Asia. So it just made sense to include them because they actually have some of the same challenges that Oceania has. So okay. it's great, you know, when you have these breakout rooms and hearing their stories and it's like, wow, you know, you could just put them into 
you know, PNG or Samoa, same challenges. So it's about that collaboration. It's trying to come up with ideas and solutions and listening to each other. Yes, it's a bigger scale, but we're also sharing the same information with each of them to then take away what they would need to deliver a program um, in their country. Okay. Sounds really interesting. And the fact that the, the regions are collaborating to try and get these programs out, it's a fantastic thing to, to hear about. I really think there's the situation with COVID as well is obviously going to provide some impetus because I, I think people are more focused on doing the right thing. Right, it, and therefore, it gives you a, a wider window to be able to try and promote that sort of behaviour through the game. Yeah, I mean, totally. When you're stuck, and a lot of them are still stuck at home, so you know, being able to learn and improve or educate yourself on types of programs that could help your federation. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we're trying to help make basketball the number one sports community. And if we can use basketball as a tool also to then create better humans, I think it's really important. And, and a lot of the Southeast Asian countries have not thought about the basketball for good component and how they could use basketball to help them. Um, so it's, it's been interesting listening to their, their conversations about you know, we never really thought about this. You know, we see how it could add value to our programs, especially, you know, when you're talking to parents and the parents are like, oh, we don't really care about basketball. But if you're adding that social component to it, mm. it just makes it, you know, makes it more valuable, but I think more impactful. You know, you're really trying to make a difference. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that I wish the local organizations would also take on board i mean they try to a point but it's like we get to a point and then the game takes over the social aspect Mm. and i think it would be great to have more of that social aspect built into it because that will also help engagement with the wider community that probably aren't you know big into basketball well you know the the mini basketballs it's a grassroots program so it really it's like the first step it's introducing someone to the game so if you can include that social component then i think that's you know adds value it's also about coaches and referees it's about increasing participation and introducing them so it there's a lot of development components to it it's not just about you know the players there's it's yeah. about the wider community um australia is very much it, it's something that oceania has been doing like the our office has been doing for a number of years and we've noticed that a lot of the other regions are now seeing the value in it and are trying to incorporate uh, mini basketball into their um into their programs you can't go wrong getting that early engagement with the community. And it's all about fun. So yeah. it's not about who wins, who loses. <laughs> you know, it's about fun, you know, small-sided games and keeping it fun and, yeah, it's, um, you know, you have your drills and your teaching and all that kind of stuff and you end up with a little competition because you want to transfer what they've learnt and those basic fundamentals into game-like situations. So there's that component as well. Cool. Over the last little while, you've been doing some work with the IBA. Mm-hmm. Why don't you fill us in on what's been happening in the world of Indigenous basketball in Australia, how you've been involved and what's coming up over the next little while? Yep. So IBA, formerly known as AIB, so uh, we've had the name change to Indigenous Basketball Australia. Um, you know, Paddy Mills has 
huge impact on this program and, um, you know, it's great to see him giving back. Um, you know, he's been a great role model, I think, for, for the country, for the world really. Yeah. The program I was just part of, partnership with Basketball New South Wales. Uh, so we went out into Tamworth, Coffs Harbour and Taree and ran some camps uh, this past week uh, for the Indigenous community. So it was promoted for Indigenous players, you know, providing a pathway with free camps around the state. And last week was the first week of the actual uh, program. So it was great to see so many kids. It was nice to have something for the Indigenous community. I mean, we did have kids that weren't Indigenous and it was great to see that whole inclusiveness um, of the program uh, but, yeah, look, they're free camps. Uh, there's courses for coaches, referees and score table as well, um, and those will be rolled out throughout, you know, the year. It's part of the legacy program for the Women's World Cup, which will be here in Sydney next year, um, and the funding for these programs are part of legacy. So nice to see uh, these programs rolled out and these camps rolled out um, around the state. And how many kids did you have attending these camps? Yep, so in Tamworth we had 45, uh, in Coffs we had 40 and in Taree uh, we had 52 kids. Wow. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that no, was great. Uh, Taree, I mean, they had their own facility. It, it's great to hear actually they're building three more courts um, so their program's going to be so much bigger. But there was so much love I think we felt as facilitators of these camps from the, the communities uh, we had the TV come out and, and interview us in Tamworth and in Taree, so it was great to see that the program was being promoted. Um, yeah, it was nice to see that. That's great. It's good to hear that the local, the local and regional news uh, and TV stations are getting behind programs like this. Mm. What sort of impacts do you think the programs like that the IBA are running are having for these kids? I think it's showing that there is a pathway for the Indigenous community. You know, there may be a, a dime in the rough, another Paddy Mills, another Leilani Mitchell, you know, that are out there that don't regularly get these opportunities. So yep. it's nice to see, I mean, they're free camps. So, you know, there's no cost involved. And uh, it was just great to see so many kids out there just loving the game. You know, it wasn't about winning and losing, although you do add a little bit of competition, <laughs> but... Yeah, you know, it, it's just nice to see them wanting to come out. And, you know, there were kids that had never played before. So it was just, you know, it was open to everyone um, to participate. Those kids that, that hadn't played before, how did you find that they reacted and took to the game? Oh, they loved it. They yeah. loved it. Yeah. I mean, look, you have to start somewhere. And, and I think, you know, when you're teaching kids that have never played before, it's not so much, it's just about them being introduced to the game, you're not expecting, you know, them to be experts in four hours, yeah. but you just want them to have fun, um, meet other kids. You know, there were kids that didn't know anyone and then when you see them playing with other kids and they're smiling and having fun, I think it just, it was really nice. It was heartwarming to actually see that. I suppose one of the things that people living in the cities forget is the distances involved in regions, even around places like Taree, it's quite a distance for some communities to be able to get to to facilities. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I look, I grew up in Sydney, so you know, a single mum, my mum, single mum. I had to catch trains everywhere. I started playing when I was fourteen, so having to travel around and on my own, getting around. So you can just imagine, you know, in the country where you don't have trains. 
yeah. then you're relying on family and friends to help you get somewhere. So no, I, I think this program, the more it, it gets, the, the, the message gets spread out and the different areas that they go to, I think it will be great to see, you know, the community actually have opportunities to participate and have some good coaches, good facilitators um, with, uh, with knowledge to help them. Yeah, no, it's, I think the opportunities, particularly for, for these kids who just don't get to these facilities very often, mm. is fantastic. And, you know, it's great that BNSW is getting behind this as well and giving these kids these opportunities. I'm also curious, you know, it's, it's NADOC week as well. How do you find that the kids react to understanding that there are pathways to, you know, potentially be another Paddy Mills, another Leilani Mitchell, Rahani Cox? and so many others. Is there a lot of discussion about the players that have come before to to give the kids that sort of something to aim for? I mean, to be honest, I mean, I think that having someone like me, I guess, showing them uh, that there is, there are pathways, and I think it's about the ambassadors that you use for your programs. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're very mindful of uh, who would go out and facilitate um, some of the camps. And, and I guess that's where that connection with having someone that actually looks like them that's there to help facilitate programs. So I think, you know, that's a big thing that Basketball New South Wales and, B, you know, BA are trying to jump in and, and show that there are pathways for, for young players who may never have played before, you know, to actually reach it um, to the highest level. So I'm not sure if I've answered your question, but I think that, you know, it's, it's important to show young players that there is a pathway for them uh, and show them through the ambassadors that they have in those programs. Yeah, it, it does answer the question. It's about, you know, having those role models, not only people like yourself who've been to Olympics in the past and who've, who've got great careers, but also being able to say, look, you know, you've got these players who are out there on the world stage today. Mm-hmm. You can watch them on TV. You can see what they do. There's a pathway like that for yeah. you as well. And I think uh, with associations too, it's about pathway for their players from, you know, grassroots through to reps and also their, you know, NBL1 teams, like having relationships with those players to also see the, the, I guess the stepping stone to making it to a national team. Like there's lots of hard work. And if you can see a pathway, um, if you have a relationship with not only, you know, national players but your local rep players and showing them, you know, that there are those steps to and the hard work you have to do really to, to get to that level. The, the thing with um, competitions like the NBL1 is that there are a number of teams but it's it's the feed into those teams because you're not going to have an NBL1 team in every region. No, that's right. So it's the feed in, and I think, look, from my personal opinion, is that that kids need to have those role models. They need to have people that they can look at, and they also need to have a really good understanding of of the history. Definitely, that's gone into, you know, where we are today. No, to- I agree totally. And look, it's something that is a work in progress. Definitely, you know, thinking about when I was young and and who was around me, I was lucky. I, I mean, I had good mentors I had people that championed my my path so it's just about 
I guess the investment um, that you have around you um, and people willing to help you on that journey. Yeah. There's just so much that has to go into this. And it's great to see that Basketball New South Wales, FIBO, Shania are, are, are working together on making these sorts of inroads. And I think it's got a lot of potential for the country in the future as well and for all those Indigenous players because there's got to be a monstrous amount of talent out there. Oh, totally. Agree. I was Last year I was in Domagy and Mornington Island, so I went up with AIB during NAIDOC week. Yeah. And it was so fantastic. Like I've never been in that part of the, the country before, so it was an eye-opener for me and it was so humbling. Uh, it was empowering. Um, met some amazing people on that journey and yeah no I just so many amazing athletes that you just don't know about yet and we're hoping to find them that's great we're going to keep an eye out on that one yeah now you touched on the ambassador roles Mm -hmm. now you were the inaugural ambassador for basketball new south wales i am a girl program correct how did you find that role in that program and, and how you felt that it was helping to develop uh, potential for girls? Yeah, look, the I'm a Girl program, I was so proud to, to be asked to be the ambassador. And I think growing up in Sydney and, you know, being in New South Wales and, and my path, so it was nice to actually be asked to be that ambassador. And, look, the program, it's for players, for coaches, referees, administrators. So working with the associations in particular and, and going out and providing them just some it's not so much expert advice. It's really just about engagement, um, coming together, talking about whatever the social, I guess, challenge with is within that association. It, so it could be bullying. So it's sitting down with a group of girls, the women, different ages, and just talking to them about what bullying is, you know, have they been a part of it? It was nice to actually be included in that. Um, It was very heartwarming to hear stories um, about situations, you know, women had gone through, there are a few tears, but it was nice to be around women like myself. You know, there were a lot of challenges that I went through um, as a young person and basketball was my life back then, you know. I mean, it still Mm. is my life. So without basketball, you know, I don't know where I would have been. So it was just nice to be able to share my story, them share theirs and and just have this community for women and, yeah, just an inclusive community and no judgment. Uh, no, it was, it's such a great program and I still have my shirt. I wear it around all the time, you know. I'm very, you know, very excited that the program is still going and, and it is part of the legacy program and, uh, you yeah, know, it's, it's, it's a wonderful one. So, any. Uh, FIBA, I believe, has got a, a more global program for girls happening. Mm-hmm. How's that operating, you know, and what have you seen in the way that it is operating? Yeah, so the, the program's called Her World, Her Rules. And so the I'm a Girl program could sit very well into that. It's about, you know, empowering girls. It's about opportunities for coaches and referees. Uh, we're very fortunate that Samoa and uh, Fiji have uh, just received a little bit of funding for branding. So the Her World, Her Rules brand uh, is something that's the global brand. So in Fiji, Her World, Her Rules, I'm a Girl. They've actually incorporated the I'm a Girl um, program, uh, which is really fantastic. Um, And then Samoa have got their similar to I'm a Girl, but it's more for for the women. 
Paradise Ball. Uh, it's just about empowering women and, and giving them opportunity to be active um, in the community. So, yeah, Her World, Her Rules, it's global uh, and it's something that uh, is very exciting to see. I suppose it's one of the things that people don't actually take into account is the fact that it's not just for players, but it's also for coaches, referees, uh, statisticians. It covers the whole spectrum of involvement with the game. That's right. And, I mean, you need all, you know, everyone to, to make the game successful. So, you know, we're trying to develop players, but there's also, you know, people that, you know, may not want to play anymore. You can still be involved in the game. And, you know, I think... Uh, Basketball New South Wales are really pushing for referees as part of their legacy program. Yeah, there's opportunity for everyone in the game within that program. What is the engagement for women as coaches across the region? Uh, There's a number of programs. Uh, Basketball Australia have got an elite female program and it's an online program. Um, as yep. we've all seen, everything's online at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they've highlighted or targeted uh, identified coaches and it's just a females program. FIBA, our, our office ran a program just for female coaches last year. So with FIBA's strategy of women in basketball, there's a real push, a real focus on developing female at all levels from players, coaches, referees, administrators, Uh, And it's great to see that, you know, Basketball Australia are also advocating that as well. I think it's really important for for the programs like this to continue because I know, you know, you go to a game and you see there's, as you said, there is a drop-off at a certain point. Mm. And it's not just with players that you also see that the coaches start to disappear, the the Mm. statisticians, and there are a lot of demands on people's time. What does Annie think is the best way to keep the engagement happening? Yeah, look, that's a tough one. I don't, I don't know if I've got the answer for it, but um, oh, look, we're all volunteers. You know, no one really gets paid to do all of this, and you'll find that it's the same people doing everything. It's just about finding, you know, I, I think the right people working within federations, associations, um, trying to provide opportunities. Maybe it's the pathway. We're showing them that there's a pathway to where they need to go. It's a real tough one because everyone's busy. Yeah, I don't know if I've got the answer for you, Paul. <laughs> well, we could we could throw out ideas, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's 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 a tough one. Um, I, I I see in our federations, you know, when you go in to run a competition and um, you have twenty score table people at the start, and then you end up having six. You know, it's like. You lose them, but I think it's just about uh, maybe you need to find out why and maybe it's because people don't have transport to get there, you know, maybe it's a challenge. So finding out what the challenges are and maybe jumping in and trying to find solutions to help. It's interesting. I mean, you could have just hit the most simple solution of all, which is why. Just ask Mm why. Yeah. (laughs) Okay, now you mentioned that you've got a trip coming up to the Seychelles. Well, Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) What's that about and and what does it entail? Yeah, so the Hoops for Health program uh, was piloted in Fiji. So that was FIBA Oceania's program with Basketball Fiji in 2014. So I mentioned this a little bit before about uh, non-communicable diseases. Um, Mum's a Hero was the program. Uh, So it was providing a curriculum that so we trained coaches to then go out and deliver the basketball component and then we partner with a local organization to come in and talk about 
you know, healthy eating, being active, you know, so that the whole partnership. So the FIBA Foundation um, are looking to implement the program. They see that the program could be implemented in the Seychelles, the curriculum, just working through that right now. And the Seychelles, 80% of their deaths is from NCDs. So there's, yeah, so what Fiji are delivering could be delivered in the Seychelles. So, yeah, just working with the FIBA Foundation, uh, what we'll do is they're looking to train youth leaders um, who will then deliver the messages. So they will be the coaches. Uh, So then it's going into the schools and the communities and running clinics and training, you know, other coaches and teachers uh, to be basketball coaches as well. So, and then using 3x3. So our competition would end with a 3x3 component to it. So, yeah, it's just something, and as we know, we talked about other regions and, and being so different, but they're actually not that different. You know, we some of them have the same challenges as our Oceania regions and we've got this curriculum that we developed that can be used globally, uh, which is pretty exciting. Okay. It, sorry, you just you said something there which just it just sparked a thought for me. You mentioned three X three. How popular is three X three across the regions, Oceania, Southeast Asia? What's the popularity of the game of that game? It's definitely growing. You know, when you think about our region and about the lack of facilities and resources, and then you think about three X three, you could have two games on a full size court. So, you know, and you've got, what's that, 12 people. So it's just like it just makes sense. And so, you know, incorporated into the Hoops for Health curriculum because you can add more activity for, uh, you know, if you've got a a, a minimal amount of time to run a competition, then you put 3x3 and, you know, you've got a lot more games. It's, It's like a sprint. Um, yeah. I'm not sure if you've you've seen a three x three game oh, yeah. at, a, at a high level. It's very physical, yep. uh, very fast. Yeah, it's something that um, is really great to to watch. So it's something that's growing definitely in the region and yeah, globally. You, you touched on the thing that sort of came to mind, which was the lack of facilities. Like you said, you can have a couple of games going on a full size court, but also it's a lot easier to get a court just for the size for three x three, and probably be a lot less in terms of expenditure for, for communities that are challenged to having the funding to build facilities. Yeah, and look, and that's something we've been um, pushing, not pushing, but, you know, we, we try to show the value that it would add um, in our federations. And we've seen a lot more registered events because uh, FIBA does have a, an online platform to register them. We do have, as part of FIBA's eligibility, you know, a certain amount of events that a federation needs to do. And then an online e-learning, uh, which is the other component. Um, so, yeah, look, it's something that is definitely growing and our federations are starting to see the value of it as well. I suppose, you know, we could quite possibly see countries that have not really in the past been seen as basketball powerhouses really developing a very strong uh, presence in 3x3. Yeah. And, I mean, look, you've got a country and our FIBA team in, in headquarters talk about Andorra. Andorra. Uh, it's a Andorra. It's a European country yep. that is not known for five on five, but in three x three, they're probably like up there with the you know rankings in the world. So, yeah, look, it's a sport that they have seen the value in. You do have to, like I said, run a number of them to then qualify for just say a FIBA competition. 
So Asia 3x3 competition, you know, our federations can participate in that event um, each year if they've run three registered events and had one person e-learning certified. So it gives them an opportunity for international competition um, every year. With the e-learning, one of the questions I've got is, does it make it easier for people who might be on the periphery of the game, yeah, they're interested they want to engage with the game, but they're not sure. Do these pathways make it easier for those people in, you know, whether it be for administrators or coaches or even competition organisers? Mm-hmm. Do you think these tools are actually increasing the pathways for those pe- those people to get engaged, whereas before it may have been harder for them? Well, the e-learning is, so it's 3x3. It's just understanding, you know, the marketing component, the branding, what you, you can use the branding for, you know, what is the rules of the game? So it goes through, I guess, all the different modules. There are like 10 modules. Yeah. Um, so for federations, it's good to know, I think, that information to help them drive, you know, the actual game in the country to really understand the ins and outs of it uh, to help them then try to get everyone excited about the game, uh, I think is important. Are you finding that people are more excited about 3x3 in places where there are less facilities than the regular game? There is that old school, you know, no, we just have to play five on five. So there there's have been some challenges with, I guess, the older generation of really understanding why they should change to 3x3. It's not that we're ch- asking them to change. We're just adding another dimension, I guess, of the game and showing them that there is actually value in it, especially when you don't have a lot of facilities, you don't have a lot of time, you don't have a lot of resources. And when you actually play a 3x3 event, yeah. it's it's tough, you know. It's, it's, not like, it's not like you can hide. No one can hide in a 3x3 game, you know, whereas I think in 5-on-5, five five, you, know, you may not touch the ball. If you don't really want the ball, you can definitely hide <laughs> and not get it. So... Yeah, I think it's just um, changing the mindset. It's slowly coming around, so it's good to see. Great. Annie, thank you so much for your time. I do want to follow up again um, because obviously now there's engagement across multiple regions like with Southeast Asia. I think there's going to be a whole lot of more interesting stories to hear about. So really looking forward to that. And like I said, appreciate your time. Thanks very much for coming back. No, thank you, Paul. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Shooting the Breeze can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast with all your friends.